If you're somehow hearing this and you haven't listened to the rest of my show, Mandy Sucks Minute, you should know up front, before we even get into this, that if you like the movie Mandy, you will not like most of what I have to say. In case you missed it, I just said I had a show. Mandy Sucks Minute. It's about how much this movie sucks, breaking it down one minute at a time. 121... I was going to say 121 episodes, but actually there's extra episodes. It sucks that much. It's somewhere around 130 episodes total. We start with this stupid poem. When I die, bury me deep. Lay two speakers at my feet. Wrap some headphones around my head. And rock and roll me when I'm dead. Which is pointless. It has nothing to do with the rest of the film, but all the people that are going to love this film are like, that is the most badass beginning ever. You're probably thinking that. Unless you're some freak who decided they wanted to listen to two hours of me on a podcast episode, you weirdo. If you've listened to Mandy Sucks Minute for all the other episodes, you've heard me for more than two hours. And if you've heard my other shows, you've heard me talk about other things. And it's not always negative. I see positive things. Uh, the music kicks in here. This is, uh, of course, King Crimson. I This song is a boring beginning to this film with this dark image of trees. And it's... I said in the show that this was a poor job of aping The Shining, and I still think it's sort of a reference to The Shining. And not a good one. Because this movie doesn't hold up against The Shining. It doesn't hold up. Oh, and Bill Duke is Crothers. Ha! He had a character name in the opening credits? Who knew? His character name doesn't matter. We'll We'll get to that when we get to him. But these characters don't have names. We never hear anyone who should know it say what Mandy's name is. We never hear anyone say Red's name. Red Miller. Oh, the lyrics. Let's let's just let them sit for a moment. To be fair, I'm not sure this song sucks. I think it's about context, really, for me. Is that I watch this song in this context, this stupid scene of Nicolas Cage pretending to be a lumberjack. Pretending like he knows what he's doing. 
pretending like it matters that he's a lumberjack to the rest of the movie. And I'm just like, oh, it's just so boring. But if I was just wanted to sit around and be mellow, maybe I just smoked something. I don't smoke things, so I don't know about that, but I'm just like in context, maybe I'm drinking. I am drinking right now. Nothing too strong, but I figured why not. Gets picked up by a helicopter, flown back into that's because he's flown back to civilization, but not really. He lives he doesn't live in civilization. He's getting flown back to his um where he can get in his SUV. I don't know what kind of vehicle it is. I didn't check. I didn't care. Part of the premise of Mandy Sucks Minute is that I didn't look up stuff for this movie. Normally I obsess. Uh listen to any of my other shows, Michael Myers Minute, Dave Made a Minute. Annihilation Minute, The Room Minute, my upcoming Cock and Bull Minute, a Tristram Shandy, a Tristram Shandy move. I should learn how to say that. My upcoming show, Cock and Bull Minute, a Tristram, a Tristram Shandy story. Uh, and here we get artwork, which the artwork is nice. But it's all these overlaid fades, and it's like, why not just linger on a shot? You make a... There's four shots going on right now. And it's like, who's this person? Why are we close up on her face? Why are we close up on her finger at the same time? Why are we close up on a drawing of an eagle and a drawing of something else at the same time? Then we get this drawing of this blindfolded, topless woman. It's a great spiritual waking in America. A renewal of the traditional values that have been the bedrock of America's goodness and greatness. The audio just skipped several lines, by the way, so I'll give you a little bit more of it for context. We don't know yet in the film that this is 1983, and other than the part where it tells us this 1983, and, you know, the little A-team coloration on his black SUV here, we will never in the film know that it's 1983, because it doesn't matter that it's 1983, but this line we just heard that was apparently on the radio, I guess, maybe, is from 8th March 1983, Orlando, Florida. Uh, Ronald Reagan's remarks at the annual convention of the National Association of Evangelicals. Now, I'm sure that you must get discouraged at times, but there you've done better than you know, perhaps. There's a great spiritual awakening in America. Uh, a renewal of the traditional values that have been the bedrock of America's goodness and greatness. Oh, God. The knock-knock joke. Sorry, I had to freeze. One recent survey by a Washington-based research council concluded that Americans were far more religious than the people of other nations. It's still so awkward that she stands up on the chair and then crouches down like that. 95% of those surveyed expressed a belief in God... It's a dumb joke. And a huge majority believed the Ten Commandments had real meaning in their lives. Imagine if you've seen this film before and you're watching this, or you've listened to my show and you're and you watch and you're listening to this. Imagine if she was actually professionally an artist. Maybe she illustrates fantasy novels like the one she's reading later. Maybe she's reading it for research. She's reading it to see what she has to draw for it. This musical cue is nice. Uh, I believe this was Johan Johansson's last 
produced score. He did do score after this. He did one for Blade Runner 2049. It was rejected. And he was working on one for Christopher Robin, who died of an accidental, officially ruled accidental drug overdose. But he did good music. He, he's, his music is nice. Ugh. Here's the lingering shot. Blue darkness, because why not? And they're going to talk about stuff. Anyway. And another study has found that an overwhelming majority of Americans disapprove of adultery, teenage sex, pornography, abortion, and hard drugs. Let's let them talk about their planets for a moment. Because this grown woman has just discovered that there's a storm on Jupiter. I knew this before 1983, and I was seven in 1983. Why isn't it Jupiter at the end of the movie? Spoilers, the end of the movie, for no reason whatsoever, the landscape turns into a fantasy landscape from a drawing from the animated sequences, and there's planets up in the air, extra ones, as Andy drives off in his station wagon that materialized out of nowhere, because they don't seem to own a station wagon, it just kind of exists halfway through the movie. And uh, there's planets in the air. Why wasn't one of them Jupiter? You know, tie it back to this. Galactus isn't a planet, no shit. Anyway, Reagan. And this same study showed a deep reverence for the importance of family ties and religious belief. I... I think the items that we've discussed here today must be a key part of the nation's political agenda. For the first time, the Congress is openly and seriously debating and dealing with the prayer and abortion issues. And that's enormous progress right there. i got to interrupt Reagan for a second here to point out that this lake scene is pointless. Imagine, if you will, my version of the story. Instead of him sitting here like he's conducting the waves, she's reading the fantasy novel right now, talking about what she's going to draw for it. They're talking about their relationship. They're getting close together. They're, they're relating. They're... He's interested in these things. Then we got fire, which is obviously mirrored down the center, which means it's not a real fire. It's just fire. <laughs> cool. <laughs> fire. 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 <laughs> Why? I don't know. Because cool. Because badass. Fuck you. There won't be the first time in this thing that I will say fuck you to you. And I mean you. Yes, you listening to this show. Whether or not you like this movie or not, you're listening to this bullshit. Why would you waste your time on the last bits of my anger over Mandy sucks minute? My bonus final episode. This stupid shot. He's looking at her. Why don't we get an establishing shot that shows she's actually near him? Why doesn't she come up out of the water completely naked? We see her. They have sex on the shore. And we actually get some semblance of what their actual relationship is like. And I don't mean that sex is the everything of a relationship. But what I mean is, what do we know of these relationships? I talked in previous episodes, of course, about people or viewers saying how like their love is perfect. But these two characters are absolutely, totally, hopelessly in love. It's actually one of the most sweet, compelling love stories in recent memory. What is their love? What do we know of it? What do we know of these people? What do we know of their interests, their inner lives? She's staring at the camera and it's like, she's so expressive. No, she's not doing anything. 
And then you get this fucking dream sequence with the dead deer that doesn't mean anything to the rest of the film, and arguably doesn't matter to the rest of the film, arguably doesn't matter to her characterization, and arguably isn't real, because it's played like a dream sequence. Her finding a dead deer doesn't matter to the rest of the movie. I mean, maybe it's a premonition of stuff to come, if you play it like a premonition of stuff to come, and we get the impression it's real. The way she walks, the way she's moving in this fog, doesn't play like reality, despite the rest of the film, and how it plays with reality. Back to Reagan. I repeat, America is in the midst of a spiritual awakening and a moral renewal. And with your biblical keynote, I say today, Yes, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Now, obviously much of this new political and social consensus I've talked about is based on a positive view of American history, one that takes pride in our country's accomplishments and record. But we must never forget that no government schemes are going to perfect man. Yeah. Convince me that this scene happens or matters. We know that living in this world means dealing with what philosophers would call the phenomenology of evil, or as theologians would put it, the doctrine of sin. Ugh. Oh, God, they're going to have another stupid conversation. It's time for the Starling story. Don't listen to the Starling story. Just listen to me. One recent survey by Washington-based Research Council concluded that Americans were far more religious than people of other nations. 95% of those surveyed expressed a belief in God, and a huge majority believed the Ten Commandments had real meaning in their lives. He's equating terms that don't fit. That doesn't mean they're religious. Never mind. And another study has found that an overwhelming majority of Americans disapprove of adultery, teenage sex, pornography, abortion, and hard drugs. And this same study showed a deep reverence for the importance of family ties and religious belief. Take that in context of this movie. Who has religious belief in this movie? Jeremiah does. Swiney Todd does. Susan does. Lucy does, although hers is wavering. Native American does. Busey does. The, what I call him. What do I always call him? Cupid? No. I don't know. The fucking fat guy. Whatever. He was so cute. Ugh. I got the brightness up on my screen this time. I can see Nicholas Cage's in this scene. That's something. I want the story to change. I want her to kill one of the starlings at the end and feel bad about it. Talked about this in a previous episode. How the the scene where he kills the bird in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is similar. Where he is haunted by the fact that he did kill this bird. And it makes this bad thing in his life. And that's stronger. It's more powerful. It's more interesting. This is her talking about how one time she didn't do something, and maybe her father's a horrible guy. Does her father figure in the story that's to come? No. When she meets Jeremy, imagine. I'm going to keep imagining these things, because this is what I want. 
I don't want to just complain about a movie for 130 episodes. No. And I won't. I, I don't think I'll ever do that again. I don't think I'd ever do another movies by minute show about a movie I don't like because <sighs> that's a lot of negativity. It's good to get all that negativity out, but it's, it's bad to, I'd rather exorcise it than exercise it. As it were. To go for a bad joke. But anyway, imagine, act one, all this relationship stuff. She's this professional illustrator because she just illustrates fantasy novels. She can live out in the woods with her lumberjack husband, and they live out in this idyllic little place. He has no interest in moving. That's dumb. Why does it come up? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to the plot later. It just happens. I think some of this was ad-libbed or something. I don't know. It flows weird. Anyway. Imagine, act one, their relationship, we get to know <sighs> Mandy Bloom and Red Miller. She fucking killed it is what she did, dumbass. And then she felt bad later. How'd she get the scar on her face? I don't care. Anyway. And we get more of the relationship of them. He makes dumb jokes. Okay, fine. When they're out in the boat, they're talking about the book she's reading and how she, the illustration she's going to do it for. It's like a proof edition of the fantasy novel. And then it doesn't matter whether or not we like the fantasy novel text. I don't. I think it's overwritten, overwrought crap that is trying too hard to be melodramatic. Oh, here it comes. Ugh. We'll have to just listen to it. It's not even Fisher. Emerald light, strange and eternal. That's its own paragraph. Ugh. Strange and eternal is not a paragraph. It's not a sentence. It's bad writing. It doesn't mean anything. Oh, I forgot this interrupted here. Ugh. The weird fog. I don't know what this scene is for. The light is moving forward and back. The fog is moving backward. It turns red. and We cut to the next scene, which, despite what just happened, this scene's real. It's not a dream. But anyway, back to my act one. How far into the movie are we right now? 19 minutes. 20 minutes. Imagine we get to know these characters. We know who Mandy Bloom is. We know that she illustrates these things. We know that... No. Oh no, I remember my better version. Because of the axe later. Everyone loves the axe. I hate it, but everyone loves the axe. They both love fantasy novels. They both love fantasy and horror, and it's a whole thing, and it plays to this audience that's going to like this movie, right? The metal shirts, the fantasy art, 
She's got a proof edition of this novel that she's going to be illustrating. And you know what he does in his spare time? Maybe he is a lumberjack, but in his spare time, he's got this cave where he goes and smiths weapons that he sells on the internet. Or they met. Later we see them meet at a bar. We see a flashback to them meeting. They met at a horror convention where he had a booth where he sells weird weapons that he designs for nerds and dumbasses. And she had a booth nearby where she was selling her art because she does extra art that doesn't go into novels because she needs the money. They fell quickly in, you know, your perfect little love and all that. Will she still love him with that special perfect love? And they make love on the boat or start to, and then they end up on the shore by the fire having sex there on the shore. And it's this explicit exercise of their love and how great it is. And it becomes a visual thing for everybody. And it's wonderful for all of... And Sorry, I got distracted by this stupid introduction to all these cultists. <laughs> I got distracted by the movie. <laughs> the introduction of our villain, my friends, is him staring like a slack-jawed asshole at a random woman on a roadside. What was that reaction? What's her reaction? Oh, watch this. Wait, here it comes. Oh, she's going to lose the set. Nope, back up. And we overlay it, and one more time, one more time. Oh, we do it again. Ugh. And freeze frame. Freeze frame! Fucking freeze frame. Children of the New Dawn. That movie ended. Now we're on to a new one. Essentially, that's Act 1. Structurally. The movie doesn't structure well because they're not balanced. 22 minutes for Act 1. Jeremiah gets a name immediately. Now he's dick. He's toxic masculinity writ on purpose, whereas Andy, Nick, Red, is toxic masculinity in its usual accepted form, you know, as society likes it. Because we're assholes. Ah! Everyone are assholes! Is. Everyone is assholes! No, that doesn't sound right. Yeah, because you're a woman, Susan. Don't apologize to him. You're better than him. You got your shit together. Slap him. That's what I think. Because violence solves everything, remember. Anyway, back to Reagan. Reagan's an asshole. There, I said it. Reagan is a fucking asshole. Or was. Let's get our grammar right. Like this Jeremiah here. He's such a... He's mocking her. Fuck you, Jeremiah. Explain that line to me. Sometimes I don't think you hear anything at all. We just met these characters. He's truly worried about something that didn't happen during the film. The entire point of this conversation is so we can get to that ascend line so that we know that this is some weird cult. They're not just hippies in a van. This is a cult. Yeah, he says swine. I'm going to stick with swine. I know it's credited as swan, 
The subtitle is Swan, but with Linus Roach's accent, and because it's funnier, he's Swine, or Swiney Todd, as he eventually became for me. But back to Reagan, because this is all about Reagan. This is my podcast episode about how much Reagan sucks. This is Reagan sucks minute, or Reagan sucks brace of hours. <sighs> blah, blah, blah. There is sin and evil in the world. And we're enjoined by scripture and the Lord Jesus to oppose it with all our might. No. As fucking president in 1983, you are not. Our nation, too, has a legacy of evil with which it must deal. The glory of this land has been its capacity for transcending the moral evils of our past. For example, the long struggle of minority citizens for equal rights, once a source of disunity and civil war is now a point of pride for all Americans. We must never go back. It amuses me so much when I hear about in 1960, when John F. Kennedy was running for president, and people were freaking out over the fact he was Catholic. They're like, he was going to be beholden to the Catholic Church, and the Pope was going to have power over the presidency. Like, yeah, because it's not your particular Protestant religion that has the hold over the presidency. It's not this bullshit. People love it when... Their side is in charge. It's like, it's okay that ours is influencing the president's decisions or that he's giving speeches about how it should. Because, you know, why not? Our side's right. We have God on our side. Fuck you. Fuck all of you who believe in that. Fuck people who believe in Jeremiah, for that matter. I believe in anything. I'm tired of it. But anyway, one of my particular problems with Reagan comes when he was governor in California. I'll read you a little excerpt. This is from a, a paper I wrote called Flower Children Have Grown Thorns. Guess, guess, guess. That's not part of my thing. I'm just, I just want Swine to go for it. Because Jeremiah deserves it, and it, it'd be fine. With the occupation at Columbia and the police riot in Chicago, the anti-war movement was indeed becoming more visible even as it became more violent. And the violent response from authorities wasn't reserved simply for anti-war demonstrators. In May of 1969, Berkeley University fenced in a piece of their property that locals and students had built into a park. People's Park, as it was called, was put together in an exercise of togetherness. Quote, local longhairs tamped down the sod next to students, housewives, neighbors, parents, fraternity boys mixed with freaks, professors shopped for shrubs, graduate students in landscape architecture came by to propose designs. That is a quote from Gitlin. Todd Gitlin. I don't remember what book. It's just a footnote on here, so I don't have the book title. What might have been a simple project came together as a complex physical symbol of, quote, the spirits of the new left and the counterculture in harmonious combination, a trace of anarchist heaven on earth. End quote. That is also a line from Gitlin. May 15th, before sunrise, police sealed off eight square blocks while the park was bulldozed and an eight-foot fence was put up around the property. Berkeley planned to turn the land into a parking lot. By noon, several thousand people rallied and Berkeley student body president-elect Dan Siegel told them, quote, let's go down there and take the park, end quote. And they went. Her little best book. Her brother books must suck. <laughs> I, could, I, did, I, I never bothered to check if there's actually a crystal lake near the Shadow Mountains in California. 
where this is apparently set. I just took Crystal Lake as being a stupid, cheap reference to Friday the 13th, and I got annoyed and moved on. Anyway. Local police came in, armed with shotguns, and for several hours they, quote, emptied their loads of birdshot and buckshot into crowds. They shot people running away from crowds. They shot passers-by and reporters. They fired at students simply walking around on the campus, end quote. I believe that is again Gitlin. Yes, it is. Alan Blanchard was blinded by birdshot. James Rector had his belly torn apart by buckshot, and he would die in the hospital four days later. In all, at least 50 and as many as 100 were shot. Around 500 were arrested. Governor Reagan sent in the National Guard to get control of the situation. Quote, if it takes a bloodbath, Reagan had declared, let's get it over with, no more appeasement. End quote. That's from Anderson, the movement in the 60s. As if firing on the crowd with shotguns was appeasement, by any definition. The National Guard occupied Berkeley. A helicopter even sprayed tear gas over the entire square mile of the campus. By the end of the year, People's Park was a parking lot, and Governor Reagan was as popular as ever. In fact, according to Mervyn B. Friedman and Paul Cancer in Psychology of the Strike, Reagan's popularity actually increased whenever campus disturbances dominated newspaper headlines and television newscasts. However, large local demonstration groups' popular support was still with the status quo. Quote, Tens of thousands have learned that protest and marches don't do it. That's from Gilbert, SDSWO. The first weatherman communique would say. This was a paper that specifically focused on weatherman, the weather underground. The one, one of the underground groups that set off several bombings. This is how you summon drug dealers. I mean, no, drug addicts, as you whistle for them. It's such a... It's such a stupid... I wouldn't even call it a twist. It's it's a stupid choice that this is not a supernatural moment. You take out something called the Horn of Abraxas and you blow it in the woods in a random location, seemingly random location, and bikers that look like they... Well, they're a few years early for Hellraiser, I believe. Show up. And it's... It's... Uh, imagine. My Act 2. There are no demon bikers in My Act 2. Instead, this becomes a serious drama about Mandy Bloom. She's the title character. She's the important one here. Jeremiah comes into her life, and he is charismatic as fuck. She is into it, and she wants to, like, join this cult. And and Andy, Red, he ain't having none of it. He's like, no, we, we can't do this. And th- this one, he's like, maybe we should move out of this place. And she's like, no, we can't move from this place. We've got to be with these people. And she starts to get closer and closer to Jeremiah and his beliefs. And this gets in the way of her relationship with Red, that we've seen this perfect, amazing love that's been in the first act where they talk about all of their things. He talks about his job, and he talks about the things he's got a smith in his little smithing cave, and she talks about the art she's got to draw for this pathetic little novel that she's reading. And 
then right as she finally is like changing her mind, she's like, no, I got to choose my husband, not this stupid little cult. That's when Jeremiah has her abducted. And there are, they don't need any bikers. They've got fucking Busey and Native American and fat dude. Cherub, that's what I called him. Sorry, he's on the screen. I remembered who I called him. And Cherub to do it. Maybe even Lucy. Like, she's, she looks spry. She looks like she gets shit done. And Susan, oh my God, she grabs you. You're going down. So they grab him, grab him in bed and abduct them. And we get what we get. Let's see. What time is it? We're only 32 minutes in. We get what we get in like another, uh, 20 minutes, which is the scene where Jeremiah takes off all his clothes, wears this little Spock robe and is like, I'm, uh, Religious now, because my folk band sucked. Sorry, I'm pausing for a moment to look at the bikers. Since I got my brightness up, maybe I'll actually see something. I doubt it, because it's all red fog and darkness. Which isn't brilliant. It's not. That's a nice silhouette, the guy with the nails, and he's got this growl going on. That one with more nails is a little over the top. This one, I don't even know what they're going for. Other face. I'll go by my names, because I don't remember what the credits called them. (laughs) (laughs) And that's okay. I don't have to remember. I don't care. Because in my version of the story, they don't exist. We don't pretend there's supernatural shit going on and have these weird bikers show up out of hell. And it gets weird, and there's real gods, and Abraxas, and Nicolas Cage being like, I am your god, and all that bullshit that happens at the end, you know, spoilers. We don't have that. What we have is a basic revenge plot, except in the middle we have this sort of melodrama dealing with family and this relationship, and Mandy has to choose her husband over Jeremiah, and that's what turns Jeremiah against her. That's what makes him have her tied to that chair. And have, uh, I'd, I'd change the order around. Oh, they're going to drink the jar. Have them tie Nick up before the whole conversation with Andrea. Tie Red up before they talk to Mandy. Whatever. And then Jeremiah takes off his robe and he's naked and Nick is there struggling because he's like, wait, is she going to be seduced by this guy? Because she was kind of into it a couple days ago. And it becomes this actual question of what's going to happen. Because why does that scene go on so long if there's not a question of what's going to happen? Why does it matter? Why is this scene happening? Why is this scene taking so long? What movie are they watching? Shit, I forgot to look it up. I love this moment, though. All of them just sitting, staring at the screen. This feels like real people. They have way too many lamps in their apartment, but this feels like real people. He's going to go out to smoke. We're going to get a really bad pan across the yard that reveals nothing. Seriously, watch this pan. Oh, oh, there's a sunset. 
And wait, there's no fence in this pan. Where do they tie? Where do they? What do they tie him to? Shouldn't throw that out to the woods. That's how fires start. Remember, only you can prevent forest fires. I do like this bedroom. This thing is awesome. Their their cabin is basically made of windows. And so this little bedroom alcove is just all glass around it. It's kind of cool. Let me get this weird cut where I'm not quite sure what we're looking at. We're looking at the same thing we're just looking at, but through the window. In a slow pan to reveal. Imagine if it just cut to reveal. You know, that would have been cool. Very dramatic. Ugh, it's slow pans. It's still panning. Oh, red fog. Oh, that's right. Doesn't it give us, it gives them, uh, them up on the hill. Ugh, such a stupid shot. We get a musical cue out of it. This guitar work, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> Doing this very special final episode, which I watched the movie one more time and I'm over it. I'm not even 40 minutes in and I'm just like, Oh, it's your bug zapper scene. Someone have a seizure. Someone sue Panos for it. I don't care. I mean, sure, his parents died and he put all his pain into making movies, but his movies suck, so I don't care. I'm tired of seeing his movies suck because he seems like a nice guy. He has a weird way of describing things. Just go back to my Minute 100 stuff where I talk about how he described the music and how it felt like you're in the back seat of your brother's car and it smells like weed and something or other, and it, it just gives weird descriptions to things. Like setting up a scene and giving a mood, which I guess there's something to be said for that, but I just don't care. I'm old. <laughs> Actually, I'm not that much... I don't think I'm older than him. I think he's older than me. But I just don't... I don't know. What are these reaction shots? Look at them. Do they look panicked? No. They're just looking so expressive. No, they're not expressive. Panos forgot to tell them to act, and this scene sucks. If they just dragged Cherub away by his head. <laughs> I don't know how that worked. Did she just see that? Because that's how that was edited, but that's not where she's looking. I don't even know what window that was. If you looked away for half a second, you wouldn't know what happened. You'd be like, where'd the fat guy go? I don't know. Begin a new chapter now? No, that's after she dies. Ugh. Marlene? Who the fuck's Marlene? Susan has a name? <laughs> oh, shit. Subtitle called her Marlene. Oh, this is changing my entire worldview. Now, as you would have heard it if you listened to this episode, two episodes ago I talked about the credits and all the names, but I, I forgot. <laughs> I remember I called her Susan. I don't know what her actual name was. As long as you're a good girl. Shut up, Susan. <laughs> That's... Susan's weird. She's like the good cop and the bad cop. Because Lucy's the boring cop. She doesn't. Buster. She calls her Buster. So weird. 
Oh, this is where this is why Lucy doesn't deserve to be forgiven later. She participates. Look at this. I mean, she has to, but still, look at this. Oh, eye drops. This is nice of them. It's a weird way to give someone drugs. I mean, I like it. It's weird. Which makes it more interesting. Which is fine. In context outside of like one minute at a time. It's cool. Bug's cool. I want this prop. It's stupidly used. Why does it sting her? What does that do to her? Do I care? I don't know. Why does she have to hold still? Once it stingers in, what's gonna... Cherry on top. <laughs> now I'm just gonna make fun of people. No, I don't, I don't, as I was telling someone yesterday, I don't make fun of this movie. Not really. I mean, sometimes what I say comes across as making fun of it, but I don't think I'm trying to make fun of it. I think I'm, I'm aiming for serious critique because I like movies and I don't like when they do things badly. This blurry shot is wonderful because she just got on the drugs and the stinging and she's out of it. Her face looks really weird. Blurry, but I'm okay with it. But this movie so many times starts shots blurry and has things come into focus and like, how many times are you going to do that same camera trick? Panos and, uh, I forget his camera guy's name. I forgot. It's like this, right here. Hey, they're far away walking toward the camera. We don't need them to be far away walking toward the camera. She's wearing the 44 shirt, you will notice, because this will matter later. At some point that we do not see, they apparently take it off of her and throw it on the floor. That hallway looks like the hallway from Jeremiah's room from earlier. They're setting her down in a thing in that room. This isn't that room, though. Because that room didn't have a couch in the middle of it. It had that little alcove off to the side. This also doesn't feel like the couch that we will see later in Andy's and Mandy's house. And so their location choices are weird, because... If this is that place where Andy and Mandy are, then the TV is just to the right of this frame. It's not. This tableau is so weird. Pink and the lens flare and everyone's just laying on the couch like they're in the middle of an orgy or forgot to take their clothes off. I don't know. It's just... See, this is a nice moment. If, see, watching this again now, when I've broken it down minute by minute, it go, it flows faster. Everything flows faster, especially because I've been talking most of the time. But watching it the first time, at this point, I would, no, watching it the first time, I had given up long ago and turned it off. Watching it the second time, I had given up long ago and turned it off. Watching it the third time, 
by this point, I was so bored and annoyed and hating this thing that I was posting on Facebook about awful things that were happening and be like, what the fuck is going on in this movie? Why does this thing, why does this thing exist? This time, today, we got here quickly for me. It's the kind of plot that probably works better if you watch it multiple times, but you shouldn't watch it multiple times. You shouldn't even watch it once. You shouldn't be watching it right now. So right now, if you're watching the movie, turn it off. Goodbye. Just pretend there's no more to this show. It's fine. You're better off watching something else, something that isn't an exercise in exactly what it's pretending to be about being against. Panos in interviews has talked about how Jeremiah is, um, I love that this is even better, he puts on his own music, you arrogant little son of a bitch. It's like a guy who makes his own movies and acts like they're wonderful. I mean, well, no, to be fair, okay. If you make a movie, you should think it's good. If you make a song, you should think it's good. If you make a podcast, you should think it's good. So far, it's kind of boring. It's about to start. If you have to tell someone it's about to start, it's not good. It's like the movie. The song is about him? Ugh, it's a delusional fucker. Anyway, where was I? (laughs) Uh, This scene... This scene on its own is... It goes on too long, obviously, but... It's a nice idea that this, he's trying to present this idea where he thinks, like, he thinks he's actually great. And I can get, I understand. If you, it's like similar to like you make your movie and you have to think your movie's good. If you make your cult, you have to think your cult is good. If you make your song, you have to think your song is good. Otherwise, why is it out there? Why are you continuing? Why do you keep doing the things you do? It's a weird juxtaposition shot of the two faces, which has no purpose. They're not two people. They're not two sides of one person. It's it's strange. Imagine if here he'd been... Okay. We get the Starling story in Act 1, and it's a flashback, and we see her father, and in this moment, the face that merges with his is not hers. It's her father's. And for a second, maybe she's tempted again. She's like... Yeah, and she's like, she's got serious father issues. I'm thinking of, uh, like, Christine and Phantom of the Opera, where, like, she wants to be with Phantom because he reminds her of her father, because she thinks it's the angel, like, an angel, the ghost of her father come back to help her and make her better. Because she just wants something. She wants that love that she couldn't get because her father died. Whatever you may believe, this thing is not your father. Let her go, for God's sake. Let her go, Christine! 
And this Mandy wants that love that she's not getting from Andy because he neglects her. He goes off and does lumberjack things all the time. And he's gone all the time. And then he comes home and he's got a, he's got all these orders waiting on the internet. And he's got to go back down to his cave and smith things. And she's not into smithing. She doesn't like the atmosphere down there and all the smoke and dirt and everything. And so she goes up and draws her pictures and they're, they're drifting apart. And then here's this guy who reminds her of her father. And he's got promise. He's got these other followers. And she's like, there must be something here. What if this guy has actual superpowers? And in this moment, she's on drugs and she believes all of this is real. This music is wonderful. This guy is wonderful. I need to be with this man. Meanwhile, in my version, Red is right there strapped to, I don't know, another chair or a f the fence post. Maybe this is outside. I don't know. But he's nearby watching this and he's struggling, but he's got a thing in his mouth so he can't say anything. He's just like, no, don't fall for this shit. This guy's not, this, this man is not your father. Angel of darkness. This torment. I am your thing is not your father. Let her go, for God's sake. Let her go, Christine. Right there. My wants, my needs, my pleasures, and she's in. You know. But then why does he turn on her? It's because in a moment when he, he goes too far and she turns on him. So it, it would play out much the same on her side. Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. They say, they say, Brandy, you're a fine girl. What a good wife you would be. Such a fine Yeah, your eyes could steal a sailor from the sea. <gasps> he said her name. It's one of two times in the movie that someone says her name. It's him and Brother Swine. And neither one has a reason to know what her name is. See, now, if this is Andy's and Mandy's house, which it might be, I'm not sure. And this is that same couch that Andy's going to walk in with in his underwear in a few minutes. Well, it's in like 20 minutes or 30 minutes. I don't know. It's a long time from now. That means her drawing table's off to the right. The TV's off to the left. There's no TV right there. It would be in the shot over here next to her. You made this song. He just, she, I love that she's behind on this. He's like, wait, what? Meanwhile, he's naked. and He's like, wait, why aren't you noticing this? And she's not noticing this. And he's all emasculated because he's a toxic incel dude from 1983 who thinks he's on the side of God. He's like, come on, let's do this. And she freaks out. She laughs. She seals her fate. But at this point, oddly enough, in my version, well, actually, we're about an hour in, because the revenge is going to take a lot less time. We don't have the Senate babies. There are no quote-unquote demon bikers. There's no Carruthers, because he's unnecessary. There's just a simple... Violent revenge that has to come. Cherub's already dead. Lucy, after the... After the Russian roulette scene, she's forgiven. Fine, she's let go. But everyone else has to go. Actually, he lets Susan live, doesn't he? Does he let Susan live? I don't remember now. He talks to her. And then he goes down the... He climbs down the ladder. I don't know. Who remembers? No one well, someone remembers. There's people who love this movie. People watch this movie all the time. People think this is the greatest movie they've ever seen, and those people have problems. Oh, look. It was blurry and dark. We're not sure where we are. Must be Mandy. 
the movie, not the person. And we get to Nick. Red. Andy. Whatever. Who cares? Oh, Blurry House. You know what you could do? Focus before you start a shot. Don't ever doubt yourself. That's good advice for everyone, but also doubt yourself because you suck. If you've made it 53 minutes into this movie, you suck. Oh, it's Nicholas Cage. <laughs> oh, it's the house from afar. Also, not the angle we just got, which was ugly. Mm-mm. Okay. Oh, it's the Lucy thing. Oh, she is not having it. She's like, oh, shit. Anyway, back to Reagan. <laughs> As we get to this Russian roulette scene, Reagan was an asshole. Reagan was a horrible bigot who didn't like gay people, who didn't like, you know, sinners in general, because Christian, big right wing Republican icon. Uh, wouldn't talk about the AIDS epidemic. Was. I mean, in this, the speech that they played earlier in the film, I still don't know why it's in this film, because this film has nothing to do with anything that's in that. Um, pornography. Which, I mean, if people are being exploited and forced into it and all that, sure, pornography's bad. I would say, probably safe to say most pornography is exploitative or uh, unhealthily misleading in what it causes men in particular to want. What it causes men and women and whoever to think is available and will happen. Oh, the, the subtitle said Pale Knight K-N-I-G-H-T. Yeah, that's not it. Pale Knight N-I-G-H-T is a character from D&D and so is Braxis. My theory, of course, is that that's what Panos was stealing from, stealing from, borrowing from. I don't, I don't need to call it stealing. I don't think it's bad. I just think those are the references he's making. I like D&D. I play D&D right now every two weeks, but it used to be every week. One of my campaigns ended. You don't need to know that. But Reagan, he's going through Alzheimer's and, you know, and winning the Cold War and all that bullshit. He's actively holding down a good part of our society because that's what uh, that's what you do in the 80s. Support the rich, hate the poor, 
hate drugs. Does this movie hate drugs? No. Andy's going to take drugs later. And get a premonition of the radio tower where he will find the chemist who will point him to the church where he will find Jeremiah. Drugs are good. Uh, Drugs are bad. You shouldn't do drugs. Uh, If you do them, you're bad. You wasted the chemist's finest on your whore. Fuck you, Jeremiah. That's such a dumb line. Cleansing power of fire cannot be reasoned with. A. No one thought it could be. B. No one said that the drugs could be reasoned with. So it was it was like a follow-up to a line that didn't happen about a thing that didn't exist. Nice musical cue here, though. I like that. The inside of the house has turned red now instead of blue, which it was a moment ago. But, oh. Damn it. Imagine Johan Johansson doing a score for a good movie. Well, he did. He, he did a few good movies. He did The Arrival. He did... I'd love to hear his Blade Runner 2049 stuff. I don't know if it needed to be on the film, but I'd love to hear it. Um, didn't he do Battle Los Angeles? And he did... I'm forgetting now what he did. And I can't look it up right now because my phone's in use. Playing all this, recording all this on multiple screens. So they're going to lift up her body. And light her on fire. At some point in the scene we didn't see, they also apparently took her 44 shirt off and threw it on the floor inside. Because... Red's going to find it in there a couple minutes, or like 20 minutes, or however long it is, until the fucking Goblin commercial. No one cares about that. Well, everyone cares about Goblin commercials, because everyone loves the Goblin commercial. When I first watched this, I called the Goblin commercial the best part of this movie. It's really dumb. It's stupid. It shouldn't exist. It shouldn't be in this movie. But hey, it's, it's, it's something. Something. It's something. I don't know what it is. Took all these reaction shots from Nick looking like he's in pain. I mean, it's looks it's something. It's reaction, but he could also be just pooping. He could be struggling to open a jar. He does open a jar later. I wonder if he makes the same face. We'll have to watch. Let me get to... This red tint. Oh, the fire tint. The light's coming in. We didn't, by the way, a moment ago... Oh, the house is blue again inside. Because the TV is on in there. Even though it wasn't on before. It will be on when he comes back in with a Goblin commercial. But it makes for weird lighting conditions outside when this fire scene ends. And watching it one minute at a time, I didn't put that together because the TV and that scene was so far apart. I was like, what is this lighting? And I wasn't going to go back and check. I was going to move forward and check. Pay attention to the body here. Those are legs at the bottom, swinging. Heads at the top, the way this is moving. Uh, But in a moment, we will see there's a head at the bottom of it. Or maybe those are arms. However, after all the reaction shots, we get a close-up, and the head is definitely the lowest thing in that bag. Ugh, this guy's weird face licking his teeth. But get it, they're awful people. We knew that already. We knew that in their first scene. 
We didn't know anything about them or care, but we knew they were bad. Oh, Lucy feels bad. And Susan, Marlene, whatever. Is it Macy May? Macy May? Mandy Marlene? <laughs> we'll change that movie. That's about a cult too, right? Yeah. That's why they always have weird names, is because everyone has to answer with the same name on the phone so that no one ever knows how many people are there. Hello? Hello? Hi. What's the other name in that title? Martha? Well, it's Mandy now. Yeah. That's all that matters. You look like a Marcy May. What does that mean? Why did you say that name? See, here, this is the bottom of it, and that is a head face showing through the bag that's not how she's hanging it's inconsistent and this movie is full of inconsistent it's also oh he's acting he's acting he's gonna get all of his acting out of the way in the bathroom soon in a couple minutes and then for the rest of the movie he's just gonna look like a dumbass fool who just stares at people so, let it soak in. Soak in the Nick Cage freakout. One reviewer, was it the one, I don't remember if it was the one that I watched, that I uh, talked about in Minute 100, but one reviewer, um, I remember he was like, If you're going to see the movie just to see a Nicolas Cage freakout performance, this might be the best. Oh, shut up. Where'd the station wagon come from? Can we talk about that again? They arrived in just the van cultists. Andy, as we saw earlier, has an SUV that is black with a red stripe, like it's looking like the 18 van. This station wagon didn't exist until now. At the end of the movie, the station wagon is what Andy's driving. This isn't his car from earlier. I don't know. Where's this fence? Because this fence, well, I mean, fence might not have been easy to see in the dark, but this fence would have been in the shot earlier when they did the pan across the yard. Say hard from the swing set. We saw the swing set. Oh, fade out and watch this classic fade in on the exact same fucking shot. You know when you do that? When it's a fade to, you know, morning. This scene could have happened in light. He passed out from the pain, from the horror, from the sadness, and he wakes up in the morning, and that's when he's got the energy to pull himself out of those things. And then you get your fade, you get your transition, and it's fine. Otherwise, how much later is this? Is this hours later? Is this seconds later? If it's seconds later, why didn't he struggle to get out while she was on fire? Why didn't he try to help? If he could get out as easily as this, it takes him like a minute. Oh, no, less than a minute. There he's out. He's out of one. He's out of one. Almost, almost so close. And he's out. Grunts, panting. Great description, subtitler. And then he pulls on the one around his mouth, which is not going to go well. This is a good cutaway because, yeah, you don't have but it's a bad cutaway because we cut to him crawling. And he's in his underwear. 
Why don't you give him some dignity? Give him some pajama bottoms. They could match his tiger thing and you could sell him as a set. Tiger pajamas. And then it would work because then they're childish. They're pajamas and they suck. And his tiger shirt's stupid. I hate it. People buy replicas of tiger shirt for $44, of course, because you can get the money because people are idiots and because 44 makes sense. I don't know if they thought of that when they priced it at 44 but that's the other shirt. 44 I, of course, do sell a 44 shirt, but it says 44 sucks. You can find that on TeePublic. You can find a link to it on my website, lendingdrops.com. Ugh. Oh, I forgot. I was going to look this up. Maybe I'll do it now. You might hear me typing. Because I was curious, what kind of temperature do you need to turn human bone to ash? Uh, I believe I said in the episode when I was talking about this minute that like there's a reason crematoriums use enclosed spaces for the fire because that pressure is what turns it into like it builds the heat up and gets you the ash. And even in a crematorium, bodies don't turn into ash. They turn into ashy stuff plus chunks. And then they grind up the chunks to get you the dust that they give you, and they probably strain a lot of that out still. So, this is apparently the couch they were on, the other people were on, a little bit ago. And that's crazy. Wait, no, those drawings weren't back there by the lamp. This wasn't that room. I don't understand where that couch was. I don't understand what room this is. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why her shirt's there. Oh, fuck. Cremation of a dead body is carried out at a temperature ranging between 1400 to 100, no, to 1800 degrees Fahrenheit. The intense heat helps reduce the body to its basic elements and dried bone fragments. The process takes place in a cremation chamber, also known as a retort. See? Bone fragments. Her skull would not be fucking ash from a little fire that involved a little bit of what was gasoline they threw on the burlap sack. If that's the actual emergency broadcast noise, I learned recently you can get in trouble for using it in a movie if you use the actual noise because they want to um, keep a handle on that actual noise so that no one ever uses it wrong. Oh, fuck. The first animated sequence. You know what you could have done for the scene? Uh, use Dan to your rise, bro. And a little makeup. Why is it drawn? Okay, I'll I'll be quiet and let you just have your bathroom scene. Okay. 
No, I won't. Because why does he have alcohol stored in the bathroom? Why doesn't he get out a first aid kit? Why don't they have a first aid kit? Is he an alcoholic? Is that what we're supposed to assume? Why is he in his underwear? Because the movie wanted to be ridiculous and wanted to be a comedy in this moment when it should have been. This could have been a horrific moment of this guy breaking down and you don't get this wide shot in this fucking orange bathroom and him looking like a doofus in his underwear, his socks, and his stupid tiger shirt as he drinks alcohol. It could have been sad. It could have been tragic. It could have been powerful. I mean, obviously people think it's powerful. I don't think it's powerful. I think it's dumb. I think it's ridiculous and I think it's comedic when it should be horrifically tragic. It should be serious. This is a man who just had his wife burned in front of him. This is a man who just got stabbed in the side himself. This is a man who is about to go murder people. The part when he sits down is nice because it gets a little more serious and the camera moves in. Other than peck, it does a weird back up and move in again thing, which is odd. See, this, the close-up section of the scene is nice. Just by then, he's falling apart, and it's, uh, but then we cut. Oh, yeah, he's coming to the trailer. To meet the character that is apparently called Carruthers. Who knew? I didn't talk about this at the time. I think we're supposed to imagine that the reason Andy can fight is he, and why it's set in 1983, is like a lot of revenge movies in the 80s. He is a ex-soldier, and he was in Vietnam. But then Carruthers and Andy are such different ages that I'm like, that's weird. They shouldn't have served together. There are better people that could have been in a scene like this if you're going to have a scene like this, but you don't need a scene like this. If he is an ex-soldier, it doesn't need to be 1983 and it doesn't need to be Vietnam. It could be, you know, the war on terror was in Iraq. And so he's got PTSD even. He's already got problems. It's over, Johnny. It's over! Nothing is over! Nothing! You just don't turn it off! Just like Mandy does. She's got that scar on her face. She's got that startling story with her father and how awful he was. She's got some childhood that's probably seriously traumatic. And then she's got this present where this cult leader's coming after her, and they could tie together where then the worst thing ever happens, and all Andy can do is self-destruct and take everyone down with him. Jesus freaks. That I love that line. I didn't know they were in season. <laughs> He says they lit her on fire like it was, like he's, it's joy. Like, 
It was a dance performance. She was on fire. They were on fire. Hey, look, it's Carruthers not expressing anything with his face. Crazy evil. Shut up. Ugh. Black skulls. Black skulls. He didn't say it was a biker gang. He didn't say there were black bikes. He didn't say that it happened at night. You're presuming a whole bunch of fucking shit. Yes. Oh. Yeah, because they were possessed by demons. Mm-hmm. I love his attitude. It's like, you will probably die. Don't be negative. <laughs> I think the movie would be better if Red died. Like, in the end, he doesn't crush... Oh. Imagine, my act three. He, get, he gets revenge. None of this biker shit. And so we get... uh That church, you know? It's still being built. Support beams and shit, and it's down in the tunnel. And he doesn't crush... <laughs> he doesn't crush Jeremiah's head, because that's dumb. What he does is he goes Samson on it, and he knocks down a beam, and the building collapses on them both. Oh, yeah. And it all just collapses in, and Red goes down with it. And then in an animated sequence, he's reunited. That's good stuff. I'm just going to ignore the scene that's happening on the screen right now because this scene's stupid. He doesn't need to smith an axe. He's a lumberjack. He fights with a chainsaw later, so he has a chainsaw. He could just go get a grab his chainsaw. He's already grabbed his crossbow. He has an axe. He's a lumberjack. He lives in the woods. He probably has a couple axes. He has a large axe. He has a small axe. He has an axe for small jobs, an axe for big jobs, a big axe for small jobs, and a small axe for big jobs. Multiple metal wedges to break open logs with big hammers to hit them with. He's got more than one chainsaw, I'm sure. He lives in the woods and he's a lumberjack in Reagan, America. He's got a gun. Maybe two. He's got a shotgun. He's got a hunting rifle. He's probably got a handgun. Ugh. And I don't like this musical cue. Comes across unnatural in the moment where this is a very, the movie is saying a very natural moment where he is producing this thing to take revenge. 
and we get a new subtitle. So Act 3 is starting at 1 hour 15 minutes. Sure. That makes perfect sense. My movie would be so close to the end right now. Be like an even, maybe hour 40 total, hour 30, hour 40. Keep it simple. Always oh, gonna shoot at the dude. Yeah, forgot about this. And he didn't. What was the point of that? If he shot at the one in the lead, then he could have disrupted the entire group. I love that the guy gets sparks when he lands on the ground because he's got nails all over him. It's nice. It's a nice touch. Demon guy's got a gun. But Andy doesn't? I don't believe it. Not buying it. Oh, and there went Andy's SUV. So it did still exist. I don't understand this tissue. It's just, it's just not right. Oh, planets. Animated sequence. Stupid alien landscape. And lake. More lake. More lake. More lake. Some oh, reflection of the planet. Nice touch. And get something. Something gonna happen. Is she floating? Wait, I thought she was floating in the water. Where is she? Oh, there she is. She's coming out of view. Lame. Took a long time. It's a dumb dream. I'd have to double check the timing of it, but like 80%, 90% of that dream was a pan down from planets to water. Then Mandy shows up. And the end. This whole movie's got structural problems all over it. Like this sequence. He goes after them. He fucks it up. He crashes. They capture him. Why don't they kill him? Oh, this is great. Nailed to the floor. Oh, yeah. It's nice. Just gotta go for your stigmata. Get a little Christ figure. And where are they? Why does this house, a parent house, maybe, have that weird window with writing on it? Why does other face here have a workstation over in the corner? Is this their house? No, it's not their house, because there's a dead couple above. It's their current place to hang out and make a mess. It wasn't your shirt, dude. Well, it might be your shirt. Manny could have been sleeping in your shirt. Why is it your favorite shirt? It's just a shirt. 
favorite shirt. It says 44. I get another one. Did you get it from Reagan himself? Is that it? Kubrick. Lynch. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's just. You've seen Death Wish? What? He <laughs> doesn't want to talk about that. This is... Oh my... It just keeps getting dumber now. It was boring. Now it gets dumb. Like, I don't want to talk about that. You're nailed to a floor, chained to a pipe. A person with a plastic thing over there. And then he calls the guy a vicious snowflake. I don't, it's, the scene is so... And why is there a bottomless pit in these people's garage? Even if this were a mechanic place, and it's like there's grading here, and grading goes over the whole hole, and you can like move pieces around to work on a car, the hole wouldn't be that deep. It would be deep enough for someone to stand in it and reach a car above it. At most. <laughs> but the body just fell into darkness. Where are we? What is this? What is this building? Why is he standing next to a hole? You should back up, dude. Standing on the edge of that grate like that, the grate's going to tip. You're going to fall in. Red flashing light to tell him to pick something up. Cheap. Old school cheap though. Like old movies where you get the lighting on someone's face when they're reading something. Age of Innocence did that. I don't know. That wasn't that old, but older movies do it. Age of Innocence also did it where it put the little light across people's eyes when they're reading letters to like draw you into their eyes. Like I get it, but it's it's dumb. But I get it. It's dumb. It goes back and forth. It's dumb, and I get it. And it's dumb, and I get it. it the red flashing light here. Was, ugh, I didn't care. Was, wait a second. That's not a table. Okay. This is definitely not their kitchen. Okay, I just want to confirm that. Watching again in order, and actually watching and checking. This is no longer Mandy's and Andy's house. Air quotes and nicks. It's a name for boring porn. I don't know. Penis blade here is doing a lot of coke. Nope, doing more coke. And wasting it. Don't breathe out like that in the pile, dude. It's a waste. There's a nice touch there that he saw him reflected in the TV. I don't know if I caught that minute by minute because I didn't have the brightness up. But he sees him coming because he sees him reflected in the porn. Now let's see if this scene makes more sense. 
He's got the blade. Blade's in front of him. And... Yeah. I'm pretty sure it went through his leg, but that is not clear. I think it's supposed to have gone through his leg. That's why he's limping later. But the movie is just like, eh, whatever. We don't need to show that. We don't need to give you establishing shots of anything. We don't need to give you coverage. We don't need to give you any sense that people are in the same room together. Or that what that thing hit, where it stabbed, what's bleeding. Ugh. If your character in a movie says you ripped my shirt like a madman, your movie sucks. It's just new policy. I'm sure there's a context where it would make perfect sense for someone to say that. I'd scream at someone. But it shouldn't be. And doing coke off of broken glass. That's badass, right? You know, so y'all love it. Freaks like this movie. If you have been listening to this, commentary track bonus episode and made it this far and you also like the movie oh wow I am impressed oh he just found his his axe was up on the shelf of convenience oh and this is I don't know what he's putting in his bag it's random stuff those might have been the arrows from his crossbow. Who knows? Because we don't get close-ups. We just get a wide shot. And then he looks around in cabinets. Assuming that his crossbow is here. I don't think it was safe to assume anything is here. Because his crossbow was in his truck that flipped over. Oh, but there's his crossbow in a cabinet for some reason. It's just, he's only going to use it what, one more time. It's not getting needed to be in the rest of the film. It could have been lost to him. Or this could have been the moment where he goes and forges the axe because he lost his crossbow in the accident and he needs a new weapon. Dude, that's spackle for the wall. Don't eat it. Don't eat, No, don't sniff it. Don't sniff jars of gooey stuff that you find in the house of someone who had a penis blade. You don't know where it's been or what it is. What's it smell like? Mm. This isn't the stupidest part of the film, but it's on the list. See, the interesting thing is, outside of the film, outside of what the film tells us, if he gets this vision of this radio tower right now, as, you know, a lumberjack who flies around here on a helicopter and knows the area, lives here, he probably knows where that radio tower is, so he has a general idea of where he should be going, which is cool. So, the movie's about to get dumb. So I thought I'd get dumb too. 
He's shooting his crossbow at the dude. Whatever. No one cares. I read to you a while back a bit from a piece I wrote in the fourth grade, I believe it was. It's the axe fight that goes on way too long. I wanted to read you story. Maybe not the whole thing, but just a little bit. I wrote this. This was later. This was sixth grade, I think. Seventh grade, maybe. Uh, trying for cleverness. We have the opening line. Oh, this story is called Blood Withdrawal. Wow, pretentious. There's an image on the front page of an upside-down butterfly. Or rather, an upside-down image of a butterfly. Oh, just kill him already. Opening line. An introduction seems so formal. An introduction seems so formal. You don't need to know who I am yet. Maybe later you will discover my identity, but for now you will just have to listen. That's a waste of the first paragraph, is what that is. The second paragraph. My tale begins many years ago. I was twelve years old. I lived in a damp, dark castle. I hated the life. The life. The inhabitants. The inhabitants needn't be discussed, but they were not royalty. I was not royalty. I was poor and I was weak. What did I think a castle was when I wrote this? That's unsanitary. Don't pick that up. Don't pick that up. Every time. One day, I happened upon a caravan of thieves. They were not dogmatic. (laughs) I must have just discovered that word. When I asked them if they could spare some food, instead they handed me several gold coins. That's sweet of them. I did not yet realize the exact extent this transaction would have on my life. The exact extent this that's a weird line. I continued this is all weird lines. I continued on my walk to the lake. He didn't say he was going to the lake. Whatever. As the caravan pulled away. Oh look, it's a faraway shot of thing through woods. Poorly lit. And Red Fog. They should have named him Red Fog instead of Red Miller. Yeah. It's a good line. Down tempo music plays. That see, the unnatural music cue is nice here because it's the radio tower. It's unnatural. I don't think the axe is unnatural. 
think the axe is an extension of revenge, an extension of the the tiger fury and all that that the movie's going for. I don't know if this is accurate representation of how you make acid tabs, but whatever. Back to the story. Several years passed, and ironically, I did not spend those coins. And isn't it ironic? Don't you think? I think I had just discovered the word ironically as well. I stored them in a leather pouch, and I carried them with me at all times. I thought of them as my most valuable possessions, but later I would come to despise the thieves for giving me the kind offering. That's a nice sound thing right there, actually. To cut off the music. The music to the lights turning on is stupid. Them turning on like that. Jovian? Do you mean Jovian? Does he mean Jovian? Because then it'd be a reference back to Mandy's thing with Jupiter. And then it would go even better if Jupiter were the planet at the end. Ugh. Missed opportunities, Panos. Get it together. These are a bunch of reaction shots from Nicolas Cage that were uh, probably literally still frames of all the same shot because it's just... Shut up. They gave the tiger a name. It's good. Shut up. This guy's performance is so... Ugh. So seriously, what is Nicolas Cage doing? Stare like a doofus. That's the direction. traveler entered the castle walls. I thought nothing of it until he came to my shack. He asked me if I had any money. I explained to him that I was a poor orphan boy with no means of obtaining money. <laughs> it seemed that he did not believe me. He walked towards me and grasped... Ugh, this is so boring. I don't even want to keep reading it. I know eventually it turns into this like love story, because uh, he gets turned into a vampire, but he's cursed by these coins. And... But then in the end, he's he's actually, because he wasn't quite a vampire, it was this curse thing, he gets to have a kid, and so there's this thing where he wants to find his daughter, because he has this human daughter, and it's it's weird, but it, it, it really worked for, like, adolescent me and a couple girls that I knew in, at school. And then a copy of this story got all over the place. And what's funny is, senior year of high school, I had a, a part-time job in the afternoon, like I'd take off after lunch and go work in editorial department of a magazine that was across the street from the school. Somehow, the editor there, the guy I worked for, um, had a copy of my story. I have, I still, I, I, I didn't even think to ask how he got it because it was just so weird. I go, okay. I mean, I eventually did some writing for the magazine and stuff at the time, but it was just such a weird moment. Later, I would turn this story Blood Withdrawal, because people liked it. It went around. Adolescents loved this little vampire story with crappy writing. But the problem is, you got to get better at writing. Otherwise, what's the point? I later turned it into, I'm trying to find parts of it, a novel. Where it was like, sorry, the the rock video is starting. Oh, and it's gone. Got this close up on the tiger, and the tiger that is useless to the plot, useless to everything, just goes out. 
even as a symbolic gesture, the tiger in this moment. Andy's rage, you know, put out. He's already got rage. He's already killed uh, four people, right? He doesn't, the tiger doesn't need to be a symbol now. That would have worked better if he went to if he went to the um, radio tower before he killed the son of babies. Like that's how he found them. Then the tiger section makes sense, and he gets stuck on the dirt here for no other reason other than, and you don't get to see him think of it. You should see this little close up on him where he's like, "Huh, there's an idea." And cut to Caltrops. But instead... Oh, here's a line. It's from something I wrote in... This when I was 15, I believe. Connor Blake was a seemingly self-centered, egotistical jerk until you knew him. Ugh. I don't, I don't care. It's just a stupid, stupid, stupid... Young people write stupid things. Their stupid things shouldn't be put out in public. Oh, she's going to pull the thing out of the wound, which is on the wrong side for this tiger to be Andy. This thing should have been reversed. She pulls out a green stone. What is that green stone? I don't know. What's the point of this scene? I don't know. Mandy wakes up. Reverse direction of the shot of Mandy waking up earlier. She found a dead deer. He finds a live salamander. Symbolism. This is the kind of shit I wrote when I was an adolescent. I don't remember when this one was written. It was a normal afternoon at graphics. That is, except the new experiment. Ugh. It's stupid writing to do that. Here's the thing. Counter it immediately. The scientists were studying holographic solidification. <laughs> I invent a random thing and just say they're studying it. It's stupid. Oh, I wish I could find the rest of the King's Fate stuff. King's Fate is the name of the book. That came out of the vampire story, and it got very weird and kind of interesting. Also, strangely graphic. There was a story in there about a werewolf who tears someone apart from the inside by shoving his snout into them and then opening it. No, it's not ideal. See, and there you got it. The only people who are saying Mandy's name are Jeremiah and Swine. Fishmouth and Swine. Neither one would know her name in this version of the story that we see. 
They never talk to her. We don't see them looking at her mail while they're in their house. It's the kind of thing you can do with an easy insert shot. A pickup shot. After production's over. But no. We don't get that, so we get stupid shit like this. Red walking off into a yellow fog. Why is it yellow this time? Yellow is the color of forgiveness. He's essentially walking into the next scene, which is a yellow fog, but those locations aren't near each other. He's not really walking from one to the other, except I guess technically he is, because his stolen quad got stuck in the mud, and he hasn't stolen the station wagon back yet. Or not stolen, back. It wasn't his. He hasn't stolen the station wagon yet. Ugh. So stupid. Cut to the axe flying through the air. It's a dumb, 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 dumb shot. That musical cue's nice. He still has his axe. He could have pulled it out of the other guy's head. This picking up the oh, it's okay. He's got the axe. He just sets it down. If he was going to kill people with a chainsaw, he could have been doing it from the start. He owns a chainsaw. He owns a big one. He owns a small one. He owns a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like, leather face one with the little spikes on it. Souvenir that he got from a, one of the cons where he met Mandy. In my version of Ugh. Here's your here's your dick waving contest. I love it. It's just in the shadows. It's just oh, I have this bigger one behind these rocks. That musical cue is a piece of shit. Over the top nonsense. Just like the film is about to well it's already, but is about to be even more. You have the ring. And I see your Schwartz is as big as mine. Now let's see how well you handle it. I don't think they actually pressed chainsaws together for the shooting. Because chainsaws didn't wouldn't go together very well. They aren't smooth blades that cut because they're sharp. They're little jagged things that cut because they're moving quickly. And if they were moving against each other, they would catch on each other or bump off of each other. It would take a serious amount of effort to hold those blades together. They're also not good for stabbing. Unless the motors are running. If the motor be running, you got to be holding a little trigger. Which means you, you aren't swinging it around like it's a whatever.
Oh no. Now's the uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow ending. Panos' earlier film where the villain just falls over and dies and the hero doesn't, well, the quote-unquote hero doesn't do anything. This guy's going to die by falling under a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, just stand still while someone swings a chain at you. The chain just happens to catch on itself, because movies. Pretty sure the chainsaw blade wouldn't be going if it's sitting on the ground, too. They have uh, controls for that. This is some newfangled, super dangerous chainsaw. Cut to triangle, pyramid, because whatever. This music feels like the start of a good rock song, but as score music, it goes nowhere. Now he's going to nail himself to the cross. Movie ends. I don't know what's happening right now. He's reading a Bible. For some reason... <sighs> about to lose all interest in talking about this movie, too, because now we're going to get multiple minutes of him walking through a tunnel. Just he just happened upon. Why there's a tunnel below the church? I don't know. They built their church over a mine shaft, apparently, which cool, but pointless. And you don't establish. It's just a thing, a dumb, dumb thing. And he walks slowly through a tunnel. And slowly through a tunnel. And slowly through a tunnel. And the music is like... It's like the drummer sees that the, the lead guitarist is having an issue and having to plug, plug in a new guitar, and so he's just wasting time. It's filler drumming. And then Nick finds Mandy, Macy, May, Marlene, um, Sister Susan over here, crying. I don't know why. Wait, why was she crying? What is going on? On one hand, it's nice that the characters have something else going on when he's not around. But on the other hand, you should tell us what that is. It's riveting. She's offering sex to live. Which is silly. Silly, silly, silly. 
Mm-hmm. Sure. Including him stabbing you? But does he stab? No, he breaks her neck. He's going to do the stupid movie break. Ugh. Did she write that novel earlier? Because that line sounded like it was from that novel. Wait. Did it fade out? What happened? What's going on? Wait. What happened? That's why I couldn't remember what happens to her. Nothing happens to her. Which is... Oh, no, he walks in with her head. Doesn't he? Ugh. Skipping shit. I hate this. It's dumb. It's dumb, 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 dumb. Is this a missile silo? Because in 83, the missile silo would have a missile in it. Yeah. You just got that. If it's not a missile silo, I have no idea what the fuck this place is. Or why it's in the movie. Or why it exists. Or why this guy doesn't have a name. Why this naked dude does. But at least the movie's almost over. Yay. <sighs> what do we take away from this? With the experience. Like, like with the Groundhog Day Project, writing about the same movie every day, watching the same movie every day. Or any of these movies by minutes, things that I've been a part of. You take something and slow it down for whatever reason, because you love it, because you think there's something to be taken from it, because you think you can make an argument with it, or because you hate it and you want to pick it apart and you want to tell everyone what is wrong with it and how they can do better if they're going to make a movie. For whatever reason, you're going to break something down in a slow pace. You transform it into something different. You transform it into something that you've now experienced at a different level. And it gives you this weird, it gives you a weird connection. When you watch a new movie, you're like, oh, how can I pick apart this scene? You're, you're thinking about how these things go together. Like the scene where he's talking with this echoey voice, this happens in a new movie. I'm like, how would I talk about this moment? What is going on in Andy's head right now? What was the direction Linus Roach got here? He was like, this is the last scene you're ever going to make because you'll never be in a movie again after this nonsense. Act the crap out of it. Because you're changing the way you look at a movie. Changing the way you experience a movie. I, I still love movies. I, I watch a lot of them. And I wish I could do this to every movie. I wish I could pick every movie apart one minute at a time. But there's just not enough time in the day, in the year, or in the lifetime to do that. Not enough time to watch all the movies. To enjoy all the movies. But I hate all the movies. I I said on a different show, I was recording uh, an episode of The Room Minute today, where I said in passing, any movie that is, has been completed and put out there is worth watching once. It's not 100% true because some movies are awful and boring and you should turn them off a few minutes in because they're just a waste of your time. 
But if you watch it, you'll get something out of it. You'll know something about the time and place it was made. You'll know something about the people who are involved. You'll know something about the audience who likes it. Because the internet nowadays, people who like things are vocal about why they like things. No, they're vocal about liking things. They aren't always vocal about why they like things because people don't know why they like things. Somehow I skipped the whole segment. How did I skip that? Oh, it was the fight that I <laughs> talked over. Uh, where he lights the cigarette off the skull, is so ridiculous and stupid that in that moment you have two options. To think it's ridiculous and stupid or to think it's the most badass thing you've ever seen. And in that moment, when you're watching this movie, you've committed yourself to this movie for like an hour and 40 minutes, I think, at that moment, and you've got a little more coming. You're like, I need this to be the most badass thing I've ever seen. I need it to be great. I need this movie to have been worth it. When you get to this moment now where he just crushed Jeremiah's skull and he's like having an orgasm with a red blinky light for some reason in this missile silo that should have a missile in it because it's 1983 and the Cold War is still going and this Christian Christ figure character who lost his wife to this ridiculous little hippie cult deserves his revenge and deserves his violent revenge because this is an American film and we love our revenge. We love violence to solve every problem. Never mind that the whole, I loved, I talked about this before, but one of Panos's lines about how bad Jeremiah is, is that he's bad because he turns to violence when he doesn't get his way. The entire point of the movie is that Andy turns to violence when he doesn't get his way. The entire point of the movie is that we as American society, as moviegoers, as people who like horror films like this and revenge movies like this and action movies like this, fantasize about being able to take up arms against a problem and putting it down. We want to be able to solve the problems of the world with force. Because force is easy to measure. If you're not solving, you put up more force. If you're still not solving, you put out more force. If the weapon you have isn't big enough, you get a bigger weapon. Because other ways of solving problems are hard. And hard to measure. And it's easier to see this fire in this church burning and think, that is awesome. Oh yeah, because that was, that was a heretical church. It wasn't a real Christian church and it needs to burn. But all they're going for is a cheap visual of silhouette walking away from fire. But we like it because it's a fantasy. It's this bad horror film fantasy thing where it's like the usual, I like slasher films. I did Michael Myers' minute about the original Halloween. Still thinking about going back and doing the second one, the third one, and moving on. But, not the third one. Moving on. But slasher films, the whole usual thing is, at the end of the movie, the female victim, that final girl, takes up the phallic weapon and fights back. And that's when she wins. There are exceptions. Nightmare on Elm Street, for example, the original. She doesn't take up arms. She puts out traps and uses her brains against Freddy. And I have argued specifically that the weapons involved in the original Halloween are not particularly masculine, however phallic they may be, because they are a kitchen knife, they are a hanger, they are a knitting needle. This music's nice. I mean, needed this piece. The scene's dumb. The music's nice. 
I might actually add this track to my mellow playlist. I just have to rem not remember where it's from every time I hear it. We like an action film where our action star is a muscled man who takes up arms against the bad guys and wins. We like violence solving a problem. We like revenge fantasies. We like stupid, easily defeated cult things. And then you throw in the demon bikers here, and it's like, the only reason they're in here is because we want to see a few more death scenes. They don't serve the plot. They're just there. Or I guess they serve the plot. They don't add to the plot. And you get this, this final shots of Andy imagining Mandy is in his passenger seat. Juxtaposed with the scene where they met, where they might be the same person. Weird smile on his face like he's gone crazy. And then he drives away from... Pan up, come on, do it, Panos. Car comes to our camera. It's the alien landscape. Sunlight. And you're like, what the fuck? That's not Earth. Wow, mind is blown. Except it doesn't alter anything of the story. It doesn't alter anything of the plot. It doesn't alter anything of the characters. So it doesn't add anything to the story. It's a cheap way of trying to blow the audience's mind. The credits aren't long. They aren't interesting. It's an interesting choice to make them quiet. I like that. I don't know. If you listen to all this show, if you listen to this episode all the way to the end, thank you. Um, I'm Robert Black. You can find my stuff at lemmingdrops.com. I did all these 130-ish episodes of Mandy Sucks Minute. I've done 70-something episodes of Dave Made a Minute about Dave Made a Maze. 80-some episodes about the original Halloween and Michael Myers Minute. I'm working on the Room Minute right now. We just recorded something in the high 40s or ish. And I think the latest one to go up was in the 30s. Some more movies by minutes, one minute at a time. I do Annihilation Minute. It's once a week right now. It's very obsessive. If you're listening to this much later, those all exist. You can go back and listen to them again. I mean, Annihilation, it's a slow movie, Annihilation, but I like it because it's better put together than this. And even when it has its flaws, it's got its editing flaws, it's got its weird shot choices. But I comment on those things. I point them out. But I give it a little more leeway because I respect that movie a little more than this one because it, it works. This movie doesn't work overall. It works a little better watching it now because I experience it at a different pace. It feels faster. It doesn't feel like I just spent two hours doing this. 
I've been talking for two hours. I've done guest spots on lots of shows. I did ten episodes of Into the Night Minute. I'm doing ten episodes of North by Northwest Minute. Those start in January, I think. Mine are the second set of ten episodes. And my next show to start, it won't be my next show to really get into gear for reasons, is uh, called A Cock and Bull Minute. A Trista, a Trista, I gotta get used to saying this. A Cock and Bull Minute. No, Cock and Bull Minute. A Tristram Shandy story. Which is ostensibly about the movie Tristram Shandy, a Cock and Bull, a Tristram Shandy, a Cock and Bull story. Which is about some people trying to make a movie of the book Tristram Shandy which is essentially an unfilmable book, and the movie is mostly about how they're failing to make a movie out of it. And the podcast, I'll spoil it now, is mostly going to be about me failing to make a podcast about it. And maybe eventually getting around to making a podcast out of it. We'll see how that goes. In the meantime, when Mandy title card just came up, we hear some birds chirping. I assume they are starlings. And we're going to get a little spot of artwork. Where is it? Oh, in loving memory of my friend Johan Johnson. That's nice. An artwork which has Andy along with the tiger wearing a 44 shirt. I don't have time for this today. That's not even my death. It's okay. 